Thank you, Priscilla. Good morning to everyone. Welcome to El Paso Bible Church. Um, I am just going off of the bulletin here. Everything's on break. <laughs> now that Vacation Bible School is over, uh, women's Bible studies are on break. Um, youth group is not meeting today. Uh, well, actually, every, everything but the young adults. Um, every Saturday at 6 p.m. here at the church. So if you're a young adult and you're in this room, uh, we invite you to be a part of that, of that fellowship. Uh, today I'm reading uh, in, out of Genesis chapter 18, verses 11 through 15. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child, since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Uh, let us pray, and we'll begin our time in worship. Father, we are thankful this morning uh, for this opportunity to come together as, as a family, as your body, and worship you. Uh, we ask that we may bring praise and glory to your name, and we would be encouraged by the teaching of your word. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Would you now stand with us, church?
doors He parted the raging sea My God, He holds a victory
Well, good morning. If you're having a good weekend. I uh, awfully hot. Got hot all of a sudden. It held us back for a couple of weeks. Did we not break a hundred till halfway through June? We really didn't. We got spoiled, and now we're feeling it. This is exactly what I told my wife. I was like, I wonder, I wonder if we're being prepped here when it only hits 92 on June 7th or whatever it was. Um, but uh, otherwise, we're doing well, right? Uh, welcome. Uh, children, you guys can go to children's church. Juan is not having to flap his arms today. He didn't, he, he's doing it low key. No Pentecostal flapping, it's the Baptist flapping, <laughs> doing like that, um, which is okay. It all gets the job done. Uh, but you guys can go on to Children's Church. I want to welcome you. Um, it's been busy. Jacob made it sound like nothing's going on. He said everything's on break. Everything is not on break. A lot of our regular ministries are on break. Uh, but uh, we have a lot going on. Uh, we're prepping uh, to transition a good number of ministries into our now completed building across there. And, uh, getting some details figured out. We got camp leaving today, which is uh, going to be exciting I think all the parents are a little apprehensive about that, right? A little? I'm a little apprehensive about it, not because I'm nervous about the situation, but, well, I'm just apprehensive about my particular son going on this thing. He's made threats, you know, and he's not going to put up with certain things. I said, yes, you are. You are going to. Anyway, so that brings me to my next point. Apparently, I slightly offended those of you who are actually pastor's kids last week. Um, I was trying to pick on Jacob, okay, so I wasn't trying, I was trying to avoid making a blanket statement, um, and so I was just trying to pick on Jacob, take it with a grain of salt, that's how it was happening there, um, so sorry if you got your feelings hurt that I left you out of that particular category uh, last week in an illustration, but we're continuing this morning in First Peter, and I want to remind you, okay, this is this is the liability and the blessing that comes with expository preaching in a verse-by-verse manner. And that is that some of you are not going to like this message, not one little bit. But it is not optional for me to teach it, uh, because here it is, right? I didn't choose this because I'm preaching it to anybody or teaching it to anybody or for any particular purpose. We just finished chapter 2 last week, and now we're starting chapter 3. So, if it makes you mad, I will just point out that um, that means you probably need to hear it again. That's how it goes. That's my job. Um, uh, to tell you what God's Word says, uh, this principle is something I adopted in my parenthood, actually. Um, you know, your kids sometimes don't like vegetables, right? Some kids are strange. I think, Grady, you love vegetables. You, he loves them. Not, my kids did not all love vegetables. Uh, and so they would say to me, Dad, I don't like green beans. And I was gentle. I was kind. I didn't say, I don't care. 
Because sometimes I say that. You all know that I say that. I I didn't say that. I said the problem between you and green beans is that you do not know them well enough. Isn't that gentle? Wasn't that nice? I, 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 th- I encourage you to take a tact like this. The reason you don't like the text is because you haven't heard it enough. There's another parenting tactic, right? That if they still refuse to eat the green beans, I said, son, if you don't eat the green beans today, tomorrow they'll be in your oatmeal. Dad, I don't like oatmeal either. I know. This is the best time to obey right now, son. It only goes downhill from here. So the sooner you get over your rebellion and start applying the principles of truth in your life, the better. All right, so I'm just going to preface this passage with that. It is not a disclaimer. It's just an explanation. But here we are. We've been having a good time, in my opinion, First Peter. We've been talking about things that are important. We're, our identity, that's a big phrase today, your identity. It's not one that you choose for yourself, but it is one that God chose for you and declared you to be and created for you a category of being both choice as well as an alien. In this world, uh, you are, have a purpose, a special, precious purpose to play as God's child, and that is why you are here living in this strange existence becoming increasingly strange, isn't it? Like it got flipped upside down. Scripture talks about that, right? That the, the, those, the apostles turned the world upside down. That was the perception of those for whom this world is home. This world is home to people who say that to us. That's the best they got. We have a purpose to play here. We're born again. It's part of our identity. We have an inheritance. That's one of our benefits that is ready, reserved, and waiting, and a faithful God who keeps all of His promises, who will not fail. We just sang a song like that. Keeps it for us, and He's promised it for us. And so we, we are encouraged and confident in the things that are, lie ahead of us. We have opportunities to serve in ways uh, that we would not be able to otherwise. I think uh, an analog to that is that when Paul talks about his desire to attain to the resurrection of the dead… He's saying in his ministry, he wants to live the resurrection life already. Not that he's trying to not miss out on the resurrection itself, but that in his life, he wants to live as somebody who cannot die. And that is a benefit of our identity in Christ as choice aliens. We have opportunities to live in a way that is unique, uh, in a way that is strange, I was watching, uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a Trekkie. I'm not like a serious Trekkie. I don't dress up. I have no costumes. I go to no conventions. Way too boring for that stuff. But I like to watch it. And this one's pretty good, this uh, Strange New Worlds, right? It's kind of a prequel series. And in the last episode, it comes out that there's a species of alien that's been living for centuries undetected among humans called the Lanthanites. Like, well, that's the most boring alien ever. They're so normal and boring, nobody knows who they are. That's not us, right? You shouldn't be able to live undetected. You should look a little weird. I mean, it's easy for me, right? Y'all should see the looks I get just walking down the sidewalk in El Paso, right? Aliens 
they're strange by definition. We have obligations to love one another, the other weird people. Supposed to love them. Hmm. Supposed to long for the pure milk of the word so that we know how to do that. It should go without saying that weird people are, require a unique approach to love. Right? No? You've never met a weird person They got married to another weird person? If you don't know who that is, it's probably you. Right? That's how that goes. That's what they say. It's probably you. I know that I had to have a unique kind of strange person to be married to for these 23 years. Unique in all great, wonderful ways, but abnormal nonetheless. Not regular. Uncommon. Uncommonly patient. Uncommonly gentle and quiet. Long for the pure milk of the Word so that we know how to love other weird people, other aliens. We have an obligation to keep our behavior excellent. And the short way to say that is to do what is right. After that command that Peter gives us to keep our behavior excellent among the nations, again, over and over and over, rapid fire, he says, do what is right, do what is right, do what is right. Generally speaking, obey the government doing what is right. Generally speaking, basically, and it's most simple, Obey the authority in your workplace, the authority structure that's over you as you are providing for yourself and your, for your family, doing what is right. Do what is right. That phrasing has not gone away, yet we're still in the, the obligations part. Uh, doing what is right by obeying earthly authorities. Doing what is right by suffering righteously. Like you remember that there was no option for not suffering for the choice aliens in the world. I think I made that point. Did I not make that point? Did I make the point? Aliens, by definition, are going to suffer in a place that is not their home. So you have two choices. You can suffer in a way that is pleasing to God or suffer in a way that is uh, rightful according to human law. Usually, those are the two categories for unrighteousness because the government is there to judge those who are evildoers and to reward those who do what is right. So do not claim martyrdom. Do not claim martyrdom when you've, generally speaking, when you've broken the law and received retribution. Dying to sins, living for righteousness, we're still in that obligations part. If I was more more normal, I would say this is instructions for living. But I like to say obligation because everybody goes, oh. you have an obligation. It's something you need to do. It's something that God has commanded you to do. And it's coincidental and, um, and in accord with love. This is how you love the people you're supposed to love in the world. It's an obligation. It's not optional. And Peter is more detailed in this section than Paul is. Sometimes I wish Paul was more detailed because often you, you teach Ephesians more than you teach 1 Peter. I don't know why that is. But Ephesians 5 contains a lot of information that's similar to this. 
But here's where we are, instructions for living, fulfilling our obligations. In the same manner, wives, it's evocative, not just a regular old noun. He's saying this is the title for a whole category of people, right? And that's an identity. He's using it almost like you would say a personal name. Wives, in the same manner, obey your own husbands. Hupatasso. We've talked about hupatasso, have we not? Over and over. Ad nauseum for some of you, I know. Hupatasso means to be obedient within an established structure. In Scripture, it generally means to be obedient within a divinely established structure. It doesn't go both ways. Husbands are never told to obey their wives. Right? Parents are never told to obey their children. And all the children wept. Right? That's why you have parents, because you don't understand why that doesn't get reversed. That's why you have parents. The order is never reversed. But in the same manner that you're supposed to do what is right and submit to the divinely instituted structure that God has established to do what is right, wives, obey your husbands. There are not a ton. There are not a ton of varied commands given to wives in relating to their husbands. There's really only one. Explained a little differently in different passages, there is one. To obey God by doing what is right and obeying their husbands. It's repeated but explained a little bit with different details. Here, it's a little more explanation than some other places, which is helpful. So why might... Everybody wants to know in our modern world, why should I? What if my husband is a doofus? Well, he's your doofus, is the short answer. He may be a doofus, but he's your husband. But it goes back, I, 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 I understand this to go back all the way to Genesis 3, and you understand that when God is explaining the consequences of her actions to Eve, he talks about the fact that her desire will be for her husband, but he will rule over you. I take that to mean that in general, from that point forward, uh, because Eve had seized an aspect of dominion that was reserved for Adam and used it to deceive him, that this was going to be reality. That the tendency, the innate tendency was going to be to rebel, but the husbands were to rule over. It is uh, one thing that sticks in the craw. You know, y'all are not hillbillies like I am. Do you know what the phrase sticks in the craw means? Gets stuck. You kind of gag on it, choke on it, like a chicken without the right number of pebbles to chew the food it's eating. Gets stuck there. I'm sorry, I am a redneck, slash hillbilly. Sticks in their craw, they can't swallow it, that's the idea. Of, of modern women, contemporary women, and that's not contemporary only, this is stuck in the craw of thousands of years, thousands and thousands of years, it has. 
I need you to understand something. The fact that that is true is why that passage exists. Because that particular aspect needs to be offended in order to be corrected. I told you, oh man, this is going to be tough today. Scripture doesn't waste space. It doesn't, tell you, it doesn't address things that don't need to be addressed. If everything was hunky-dory and everybody just got along the way they were supposed to, then this passage doesn't exist. It's, it's actually one, and I've talked about this, it's one of the reasons why that translation is softened so much because even the translators are scared of their wives. I truly believe that. They soften the translation, be submissive, because it allows a little bit of room for attitude and grumpiness and rebellion. I know I sound like a caveman to you, but again, that, I warned you that was going to happen. It has a purpose. So a lot of people will say, well, I wish my doofus husband would make it easier. Irrelevant. Irrelevant. Most of us here, at least in the past, hopefully, could put on our husband business card, professional doofus. Yes, men? Is that arguable? Guys who aren't married yet, and we got a few in the room, you will go through the professional doofus phase of your husbanding. That doesn't change the command. It has a purpose. That the husbands, right? Be submissive to your own husbands, so that. That's the purpose. So that even if... Any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. What does that say? What kind of husband are you supposed to obey, wives? Obedient ones? Yes. And the disobedient ones. The ones who are disobedient to God's communication. Apetheo is the word there. There's three words that deal with obedience in this passage, which is one of the reasons I know what hupotasso means, because it's used like this in this passage. Apetheo means that he's not being, not being disobedient to his wife, because we know that doesn't, that's not part of scriptural command anyway, but apetheo is only used for somebody's obedience to God. God's word, God's commands, and this husband is not doing what God wants him to do. Ever been there, guys? Men? See, the women are thinking the men are getting off easy. You're not getting off easy. You, you just don't go first in this chapter. It's okay. What kind of husband are you supposed to obey? The obedient ones and the disobedient ones so that they may be one. Now, normally in my childhood and forward, I have heard this applied to people who are, women who are married to unbelievers, and I think it does apply to that. It applies to that situation, but it's not only that situation. The idea of winning over your husband is to win them from disobedience to God's commands over to obedience to God's command. And if you have an unbelieving husband, this behavior is designed to be a testimony to that unbelieving husband 
who is disobedient to the commands of the gospel, which is to believe, right? So yes, it has that function. If you are married to an unbeliever, wives, which I don't recommend doing on purpose, I don't recommend doing that on purpose, but the reality is that it happens, then the same function can be achieved by obeying your husband and winning them to the gospel that grants eternal life. But here at El Paso Bible Church, we try to make it clear that there's a distinct category of believer for whom it is common to disobey. Paul calls him the fleshly believer. Right? The three categories. The uh, natural man, the fleshly believer, and the spiritual believer. And this has a purpose in that type of relationship as well. That's the purpose for wives to obey their husbands so that they might be one from disobedience to the word to obedience. They may be one without a logos, without a word. Now, that does not mean that you can't talk to your husband's wives. Logos actually means a, a, a doctrine or maybe an argument, right? I mean, you don't argue. I told you that we have an argument jar in our house. Yeah? Did I tell you that? I told you we had an argument jar. I told you, fathers, that it should be within uh, your capacity to inflict upon an argumentative and rebellious child poverty, right? Personal poverty. Um, it's very expensive. And in fact, pastors sometimes wonder how they're going to retire. I think I have a solution. The argument jar. I can maybe retire on the contents of the argument jar. Um, that's not supposed to be characteristic of the wives' obedience. That's why we don't, we don't soften the translation to be submissive, right? Because submission implies that you can let your husband win in the end of an argument, and that is cheap chicken baloney, doctrinally speaking. The idea is to win your husband without an argument. Without argument. How does that work? As they observe your innocent, innocent and respectful behavior. I don't like the word chaste because... Chaste has overtones of sexual purity in English. I don't, that's not what it's talking about. Not, not being evil towards your husband in the interactions that you have. Being innocent of evil intent, evil behavior, right? That's the manner in which it works. And as I said, it's as much to a couple that are both believers and maybe ones that are not uh, married to believers. 
Obedience has the same function. But the role is never reversed. But the purpose operates this direction that the wives' obedience to their husbands is obedience to God so that without argument, husbands would be won over. What does that look like? Some things have symptoms in Scripture, right? Faith, the, by grace through faith, faith, justifying faith is its own evidence. You believe something because you believe it. Abiding has some visible symptoms. Abiding is to rest in who I am by God's declaration, who I am in Christ, and to do what Christ says to do. Right? We talked about that in 1 John. Other things have, have symptoms, too, in Scripture. In other words, accountability is possible, especially within the local church. If somebody comes to me and they say, I believe in Jesus, the only option that I have is to believe them because faith is its own evidence. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. If someone comes to me who has told me they are a believer in Jesus Christ and says, I am screeching bloody murder at my husband six days a week, I can legitimately say Scripture commands you as a believer to cut that out now because there's a symptom involved. that okay? We're not naive. Believers can be guilty of these things. In fact, I've told you that my opinion is that believers can be guilty of far more egregious sins than unbelievers because they are empowered with gifts that they can misuse in their life. But what does this look like? I think that the NHB actually does a good job. Sometimes y'all may think I think these guys are idiots, but I think they do a good job here. He says, your adornment must not be merely these things, merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. You used to not have to specify this isn't supposed to be a man's adornment either, but in 2023 we have to say that too. Man, your adornment should not also should not be putting on dresses either, just in case you're wondering. But women merely shouldn't be doing this. Now, that, what that means, right, um, it, it does not mean that in order to be holy, in other words, you have to degrade into some form of swamp witch. You know what I mean? Holiness is not directly proportional to homeliness, and you don't need to pursue that. You can be, you can pursue attractiveness, but not at the expense of holiness. Yeah? One should take priority over the other, as we know, right, Scripture is full. The, the grass withers, the flower fades, fades, excuse me, all flesh is like grass. I do not look like I used to look. Anybody, everybody with me there, right? When you're younger, that's a good thing, right? You don't want to look like you're 11 or 10 or whatever when you're 35. But after 35, you start wishing you looked like you were 25. Yes? Sometimes. I don't. I used to not get taken seriously when I did this when I was 25. Now, it's a little better. 
But the idea is that the gentle and quiet spirit, right, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. That is supposed to be the priority. And it is possible, even at the apex of your physical beauty, ladies, for this gentle and quiet spirit to outshine all of it. Even as pretty as you'll ever be, even on your wedding day. Even on your wedding day, it is possible for your gentle and quiet spirit to outshine any external beauty that you have. And it's not just, we we often console people about my age and older, well, your real beauty is on the hidden person of the heart, right? Maybe it becomes more important, I'm not sure about that. Even if your beauty is on the upswing, young women especially. It is possible, desirable, and recognizable. No matter what your age, that people can recognize and observe the character of a gentle and quiet spirit as your priority of adornment. Now, I'm going to get sappy here for a second. Y'all are used to this, right? For me, I'm a sap, sap ball. I mean, like, I'm just a barrel of sap. I know this to be true. I know this to be true because I married a woman like that who I have known since she was 12 years old, who has had a gentle and quiet spirit that overshadowed nearly every other character trait of which I was very appreciative. My wife is beautiful. But have you ever wondered why Why somebody who's been married, I mean, there are people that are married for like 65 years. I don't intend to live that long. I've got too many redneck adventures to go on here still. I don't know that I'll live that long, but the husbands will legitimately say about their wives after they've been married for 65 years, because it's the only way you stay married for 65 years, my wife is more beautiful today than the day I married her. Why is that true? Because you dare not tell the man he's lying or that he's just being a ball of sap after being married for 65 years. It is because it is true. It is because it is true. I know it further because all four of my older sons have chosen to be in a relationship with young women currently. One is married to or engaged, and one is dating. And they exhibit this character. The RPMs are running kind of fast in our lives right now. (laughs) Major life changes are going like dominoes in Priscilla and my life. That's how it is right now. But we're happy because the character of those young women is like this. Gentle and quiet spirits. 
precious in the sight of God. Now, is it also precious in the sight of your husband? That's not what it says. Most wives would like for that to be the case, right? But remember, this is explicitly the disobedient husband. The disobedient husband may not appreciate that. Wives, you need to understand that it is precious in the sight of God. It's likely to be a process, it has a purpose. And people's spiritual growth is not always up, right? It doesn't always follow this cute, pretty trajectory, right? Almost nothing does. Your investment strategy, your home value, your wisdom. Sometimes people go hit reverse on their wisdom for about a decade and then finally start growing again. It's precious in the sight of God. And you are critical in the process. And you must find validation in God's estimation of value rather than your husband's if he is disobedient at the time. That's an obligation. One of the obligations. Now there's precedent for that. You may think I'm picking on you. Don't raise your hand. I know it's true. It's okay. I can see it. I'm, I'm picking on you. Those contemporary women. It, I told you, it's been going for thousands of years. This has been an, a problem since Genesis 3. This has been an issue. The commands have been necessary from the beginning, but it is remarkable how static they are. Your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. Genesis 3 to Ephesians 5 to 1 Peter 3. But there's precedent for it. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, obeying their own husbands. How do I know? I told you that I know from this passage what hupatasso means more clearly than some others because there are three terms here. Obeyed their own husbands. Verse 6, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham. That word is not hupatasso. That word is a different word, hupakuo, which allows no flexibility. It is obedience. Do you understand? What the, that's all parallel. The husband is disobedient to God, apetheo, first, first instance, right? Hupatasso, be submissive. Hupatasso again, be submissive in the manner that Sarah was, who obeyed, hupakuo. It's almost like a dictionary. Obey, be submissive if you'd like, like Sarah, as long as you understand that the way that Sarah was submissive to her husband was that she obeyed him, hupakuo. I actually love this reference. Y'all probably thought that Jacob was reading some weird passage this morning, weren't you? This, that's why I had him read it. Because it is a failure on so many levels for Sarah, isn't it? She had just been told that, what, was she 90? Around there. 
you're going to have a kid in the time of life. So it's not going to take you longer just because you're 90. It's going to be nine months, 40 weeks, however you count, and I'll return and you'll have a baby. (laughs) Do you know how old we are? Listen, I'm too old for that business. We're waiting on our, next, on our first grandbaby. It is the proper and appropriate time right now for that. This is how they did it. With a, this, this is very gracious. This is how they adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Adon, sir, not, not Lord of all, you know, owing all allegiance and worship, but Lord, sir. That's the example. She called him Lord, and he, in Greek it's, it's kurios, Mr., Lord, Master, whatever. Only one place where she did it, and that's in that Genesis 18, 12 passage that we know of. Now, I get from that idea that it was habitual. That was how she addressed her husband. Because even while she is absolutely making a mockery of God's direct revelation to her husband, she still respects her husband. Isn't that remarkable? She is laughing at God speaking verbally to her husband and saying, I am going to produce a miracle in keeping with my promises to provide you with an heir. And in nine months plus, I'm going to come back here and you're going to be holding a baby from your own flesh. (laughs) She can't respect God in that moment, but she still respects her husband. It's a unique way to illustrate the principle at least, isn't it? I didn't laugh yet. God says... Yes, but you did. You did. And Peter said, understand, he's be habitual like that. The respect that you have for your husband. Her behavior was not all that excellent. In other words, it's not a demand for perfection on your part, wives, but it is a demand for respect in the midst of imperfection, both yours and your husband's. And he says this, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. The idea of technos here, it doesn't mean error, but it means, uh, if it's not talking about biological children, it means to emulate the character of someone, right? To emulate that aspect of being someone's child. So when I used to go when the twin, my older boys, well, Thaddeus was still maybe a baby, and I would take the older boys out myself, and people would wonder if I was taking out my nephews because they looked more like Priscilla than they looked like me. That's just how that was. So sometimes people would be confused, and then Gideon and Micah would start talking, and Simeon would start talking, and they would, oh, those are your kids, aren't they? I don't know what they meant by that. I feel that I speak in a very normal way. 
But they could identify my children by the way they spoke. And that's the idea. You may not have every characteristic. I don't advise laughing at God's direct revelation. I don't recommend being like Sarah in every possible way. But you have become her children in this way when you emulate this character that no matter what other failings you have, you maintain a respect for your husband. Because that's precious in the sight of God to have a spirit like that. It is not a demand for perfection because people think they can disregard this by saying, well, that's just unreasonable. No, Peter honors it even when Sarah is falling flat on her face in her respect for her God, but honors her for her respect for her husband. It's not either or. He says, if you do that without fear, because this is what happens, right? If you say, if you, especially if you're a young woman and you've never been married before and you say something like that, well, I, I intend to obey my husband, gaggles, and I, a whole flock of women will come around you and say, you're a moron. What good could possibly come from you being a doormat? Who said doormat? Is obeying Jesus being Jesus' doormat? Is doing what God says being a doormat? Or is that believing in God that what He has for you is better than what you have for yourself? These are rhetorical questions, but if you need me to answer them, I will. This is, sta- this is stated in the Scripture as doing what is right and doing it without fear of ridicule, which you will receive, ladies. We have ladies of all ages, unmarried, married. This is applicable to all of you. If you decide to live this way, and if you actually live this way, there will be derision and ridicule applied to you, meant to induce fear and to coerce you to do something else. And Peter knew that that was going to happen because he wrote it right here. Emulate Sarah's character without fear. All right. So do I have to give you an application? Y'all are chuckling. Men, some of y'all are brave because some of you men are chuckling. We've got you on video. Got me on video. I ain't chuckling. This is serious business. Now, I will tell you this, gentlemen, that this is an expectation that I have in my marriage, but it is not something that I enforce. It is not something that I create. It is an expectation because it is the habit of my wife and has been. It was her intention in the five years we dated and were engaged before we got married, and it has been her practice the whole time. And so after 23 years, it is an expectation. But it is not an expectation that I demanded or created from my wife. But legitimately, honestly, and humbly, wives, you, it was going to require humility. Ask the question of yourself, am I committed to obeying my husband and doing what is right and behaving in a way that is precious in the sight of God? 
And once you achieve that level of humility, you're going to have to bump it down one more notch on the pride scale and maybe ask your husband. No, maybe. I just softened it in there. You need to ask your husband. Is this your expectation from me? Is it? And why not? If not? Hopefully the answer is yes. Easy peasy. Right? But if not, why not? With a quiet spirit pervading the one that's precious in the sight of God, not with a threat of anger if the answer is incorrect. You understand? Right? I could tell some pulpit jokes, but you'd probably be already sick of them. You were probably born sick of those pulpit jokes. Um, fiancés, you need to ask yourself if you're prepared to do this. To seek validation from God even when your husband is disobedient to the word. Notice I didn't say if. All of us are disobedient to the word at one time or another. Girlfriends, don't date anyone that you can't visualize yourself doing this for. Another set of not pulpit jokes that I probably can't get away with. The joke is that most young women these days are attracted to people that are, would be horrible husbands. Horrible. Don't waste your time with those. If you can't see them obeying, or if you can actually see before it's too late. I joke with this because, again, we have a lot more females around our house these days than we used to. It used to be like all boys all the time. And it is a humorous comment, but I will remind the ones that are not yet married. That's weird behavior. It's not necessarily sinful behavior. That's unique. Ladies, it's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. Right, ladies? There are some of them here. I do tell you this, right? It's not too late. For real. I tell them that. I'm not creating, fabricating this scenario. Ladies, while it's not too late, avoid getting involved with a man for whom it would be disastrous to do what they say. Because that's just asking for trouble, asking for destruction. It's the primary command for wives in the New Testament and the Old Testament. So take it seriously. Okay? All right, maybe you'll nod later. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity and the illustrations that Peter has presented, this portion of your word. And uh, Father, we pray that we be meaningful and transforming in our lives as we do with each portion of Scripture.
thank you for it and for the life that you have given us to live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? We'll dismiss with a song.